everyone and welcome to Theana Money, where we seek to help the good man leave an inheritance for his children's children. This is Jeremy Collins, the host of Theana Money. So this week is part two in what is actually now a three-part series with Caleb on his position of Christian anarchy. We are going to record this second episode and go over some agreements and disagreements between us and then be done with the discussion. And by the time we were like 30 or 40 minutes in, I hadn't even really gotten to the major things I wanted to ask him about and maybe push back a little bit on. So we ended up at that point breaking it there and doing a third one where I gave him some more disagreements. So listen to this episode here as we dive more into his position. I learned a lot more about his position and some of this smaller details of it and this discussion you're about to listen to than I did in that first one that you listened to last week when it dropped. So here we go with this episode about theonomy and Christian anarchy and hopefully listening to last week's episode and this week's and the one that's going to drop next week will help you understand both positions better and help you decide one of the two that you want to come to. Of course, I would want you to come to the theonomic position, not the Christian anarchy position, but may scripture guide you. Don't get peer pressured by me into taking one position over the other. I want scripture to be what leads you to the position of theonomy. So anyways, let's jump in. Hey everyone, so I am here again with Caleb. We uh, a few days ago recorded part one and we were going to record part two like five minutes later and ended up just talking for like an hour and a half, catching up, having some fun. So here we are a few days later recording part two for you all. You got to hear part one last week. And so yeah, is there anything you want to say, Caleb, as we jump into this? Yeah, man. Uh, just uh, hopefully after episode one, everyone's a full-blown anarchist at this point and they agree with me 100% because that's how it should be. Everything else is wrong. No, uh, no. <laughs> I mean, nah, it's good. Maybe they it was good, like, good catching up. got convinced of it and then they like went and watched some Black Lives Matter and went like Black Lives Matter anarchist and now half the country's burning down. See, that's what I'm saying. I swear, I swear. Like, anarchism is really like the Amish people. Like, it's pass- pacifism. Like, it's, it's not what, like, Antifa, Black Lives Matter. That's what everyone thinks of it. I think it's it's a bad rap in the public i guess yeah actually just in the last couple of days since we were uh, recording i was talking to this i was filling up gas next to this guy that was l- planning on moving to ship indiana which is just like a major oh, Amish okay. community. yeah he's from arkansas like quitting his job gonna move up to ship we started talking for a little bit he actually ended up like i gave him my company's website and he started talking to my company about maybe working for us because he wanted to work with something supporting uh pregnancy clinics and my boss is talking to him thinking like okay this guy sounds pretty good and then my boss has him read our statement of faith and the guy's a modalist so he's a unitarian he denies the trinity and it's like well that was a good run there well i guess we'll never talk to you again (laughs) yeah so that was really cool for like five minutes (laughs) you just made me think of that when you said uh amish is he converting to being amish 
I'm assuming most Amish aren't Unitarian modalists, though. No, I, I don't think so either. That's what I said. He's going to have some problems there, too. Yeah. <laughs> so apparently this guy's pretty committed. I guess he has like a whole website where he argues against the Trinity. Oh, yeah. Sheesh. Yeah. So I was like, ooh, <laughs> things that don't come up in a gas station conversation as a modalist. <laughs> All right, man. So, uh, you want maybe uh, jump into some of the things we we agree upon? Yeah, or, yeah. Let's uh, talk about some yeah. things where I think we we would agree on. Um, so, one year for like no government at all. Theonomy is for really small government. So, I think our differences there are pretty small, and we'll talk about what those are in a little bit. Um, I think at one point you talked about how bad jail is, and you know we some guy is doing drugs and then he gets thrown in jail for the rest of his life on the taxpayer dime or there's other different issues with jail we could go yeah. into you steal something and instead of paying it back you're thrown in jail where the person you stole from's taxes are now paying for your room and board and things like that and theonomy i think is in general against jail so i think we would both agree there that the jail system and the prison system is pretty corrupt yeah well, i mean especially here in america i mean if you look, it's not meant to really like rehabilitate anyone. Cause even if let's say you go to jail in some way or shape or form, you like, you get your education, like you actually realize what you did wrong, all this stuff, right. You're going to end up leaving the prison system, going out into the world. And it's going to be extremely, extremely hard to get a job. It's going to be extremely hard to do anything. Right. And so it basically just leads people back to crime more than not. So it, like, I just feel like, and then they're on the government tax taxpayers bill for the rest of their lives. We have to afford that. I mean, they don't want most of them, at least I can't speak for all, don't want to be there either, but they're forced into just a life of crime at that point. Yeah. Um, and even if it, you know, of course they have this bad record now, but even if we took out that for a second, like imagine a guy who's a mechanic, let's take some mechanic who is like amazing at his job, great mechanic. He goes to jail for 10 years and gets out. So he went to jail in 2012. Even if he didn't have to deal with jail being on his record, making it hard to get a job again, just think about how much cars have changed in the last 10 years. The guy would struggle to find yeah. a job and he couldn't go start his own business because he wouldn't know how most new cars really work anymore because the last 10 years mm -hmm. we've seen probably more computerized progress in cars than the 10 years before then. And so now his skills, his occupation he can hardly do anymore because he spent a decade in prison and lost all the new stuff coming out yeah i mean as you're saying like just just life experience in general like he's gonna miss out a lot now mm -hmm. once again i'm not like for the abolition of jails or some form of them because like yeah obviously like a murderer they they, they gotta be taken off society and at least shown like yeah this like what you did was wrong there's consequences to actions i'm not saying even though I did say you like, can't legislate morality, I still think we have to at least follow follow in line with it. You know, yeah. Like there has to be there. There are just natural consequences to reactions, and I I do believe jail is sometimes one of those. You know, I just I, I just don't necessarily think I, I don't like our current system. So yeah, I mean, when we see jail and prison in the Bible, most of the time it's some corrupt ruler jailing a man of god for being a faithful follower of god basically i think like the only yeah. biblical model we have for jail would be a very short-term jail 
where someone is held awaiting a trial for something like a capital punishment, whether they murdered someone or raped someone or something else that deserves capital punishment. And that would be very quick. The Bible isn't like America where some guy murders someone and if he gets the death penalty, it's like 18 years later. The Bible, I think, would probably be within a couple of weeks or maybe even less than that. So, Yeah, like, like for example, like uh, morally, I'm against the, like the use of drugs, especially hard drugs, I think. The Bible is pretty clear, you know, it goes along with being sober-minded and stuff like that. Um, But then again, like, let's say you're an 18-year-old kid in a state that doesn't allow uh, marijuana use. And let's say you get caught and you actually go to jail for that, right? So from the time, and the laws on drugs are very, very strict, especially there's not much leeway, like, between heroin and marijuana, which is kind of insane in general, but... If that kid uh, gets caught, goes to jail at 18, he basically sets his life up for failure then at that point forever because of one little mistake. And we can we don't have to get into all the details of obviously like how I don't think marijuana is even as bad as like alcohol. But yeah, it's a alcohol is this legal substance and one's not. And like who decided that? We just decided one day it's worse, you know. Yeah, this whole kid, this guy's life is now ruined for the rest of his life. He won't be able to get a job very easily. He might not be able to vote if the charges get to felonies and stuff like that. So it's just, you know, it's just a bad case. Yeah, different theonomists disagree on what theonomic laws for marijuana or things like that would be. My position right now, if someone shows me that there's a more faithful to scripture position than mine, then I'll change. But my position right now, uh, if you listen to that episode, the three spheres of sovereignty of authority. Yeah. So I think that things like marijuana should be under the authority of the family and the church. So like if you're doing mm-hmm. drugs, then your dad should tell you you're being stupid or like your pastor yeah. should put you under church discipline for it if it's bad enough. I think this. Yeah, I mean, go ahead. Yeah. No, I was just saying, I totally agree with that. I just think like, and I, I probably will take even a step further than you even believe, but this is, I think it's a big point, even, even for like a libertarian mindset, I think it has to be very clear is um, like morally, yes, I disagree with being a heroin addict, right? I will, don't want people to do that. I don't want people to go down that, that line. But at the end of the day, like if you're going to sit in your house and just shoot up drugs all day, right? That's, I think you're right. Like I, I, if you're not affecting anyone, if you're not breaking the non-aggression principle, then I don't think the state has a right to tell you, you can't do it. But as a moral person, as a moral society that we should try to strive for, I think we should condemn that and say, that's not a good thing. And as you said, like the church or family should take a heavier role in saying, Hey, let's just not do that. That's your, your life is going to be wasted. There's so many bad things out of that instead of, throwing them to a prison system and then they have to spend the rest of their life trying to dig out of this hole that they'll never truly be able to dig out of. Yeah. And I do think there is a point where the state should get involved, which is probably where we dis- disagree with your position. But I think um, if harm is done to another person, like if I'm yes. addicted to drugs and that's for like my family and my local church to tell me to clean myself up, not the state, but if I go drive my car high and hit someone and kill them. Well, now I think the state should charge me with manslaughter because of my drug use leading to an accident where someone was injured. Yeah. Yeah. I, like I agree that breaks like the non-aggression principle, which I was talking about before, which is basically like, it's the very simplest form. It says basically you are allowed to do whatever you want inside of your own like 
your own dominion, right? As long as you're not affecting others and you're not like being aggressive towards others in the sense of you're hurting others, then it should be fine. Not like you can't be a heroin addict and have kids, right? Like that wouldn't make sense. Now I'm not saying that person goes to jail, but if you're neglecting your kids, obviously that's breaks the non-aggression principles and something would have to be done. I just don't believe the states. I mean, as I said, the, the state has a monopoly on violence, which I said earlier. So I just don't think they're the solution here. Like I, I think even if you, even in a communal setting, you're going to have some sort of laws and stuff and some sort of regulations. But what I'm saying is that's all a voluntary like state. Everyone agreed to these rules getting into it. And if you agree that this person should go to some form of jail or whatever, that's fine. I'm all, I'm all for this. But once again, the anarchism belief is that everything has to be voluntary. It's all a voluntary system. Like that you agreed upon, you signed the die line. You were just born into this country and because you were born here, you have to follow these rules. You agreed upon them yourself. Okay, so you're not for no civil laws whatsoever. It's a more volunteer based, very small government form of civil laws. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that's that's basically what I believe. Like I don't like the word government, but uh yeah, it, in a sense, yes, a group of people that you've all agreed upon, even it could look like some form of government, but it's just Everything has to be voluntary. Because if you think about it, right, you didn't choose to be born in the United States. I'm, I, say, I think the United States is still the greatest country on God's green earth. But um, you didn't choose to be here. You didn't choose to be born in Michigan and follow those rules, right? You were born into that. You had no say in whether or not you wanted to be participant in that. And um, I just see that as more of a dictator, tyranny type thing, right? If you didn't agree upon these rules, but you were born there... Therefore, you have to follow them. That doesn't seem like a good society. Okay. Would you be more of a fan of more smaller countries than fewer large ones? Because that seems a much easier way to get what you're talking about to come about. Like, it probably would be almost impossible to really see that come to fruition with a nation as large as the U.S. or Canada or Mexico. Well, we kind of had that under the Articles of Confederation, you know? I'm with you. The Articles, in, I, I want to yeah. do more deepening. and dig do more digging into the articles of confederation but like from some superficial stuff it seemed like they were a lot closer to biblical principles than some of the stuff in the uh constitution although the constitution yes, I, I, originally was mm-hmm. a lot better than what we have today well yeah it's it's like uh the big thing is like i don't necessarily i like the constitution right it's this document right i, I like the idea of it but it, in reality it's a silly document because it sits there and states your rights and it's like well if these things are truly God-given and inherent, we shouldn't have something listing what we can do, but rather, like, you know, because it's impossible. We have this basically a limited list of rights, but you're only going to name Bill of Rights as just, you know, this small, small, obviously it gets extended as time goes on, but this small thing of what you're allowed to do, which doesn't make sense to me, it'd be the opposite way around. Yeah, but um, I think that's where the yeah. Ninth Amendment really came in, which is probably why the Ninth Amendment doesn't get talked about anymore, because politicians today don't want you to know what it actually means yes it, like you said I, this this works way better in more of um even a more of a localized level but even a state kind of level a smaller group this works a lot better than a, a federal level because like we just pointed out there's a lot more inconsistencies and it's a lot harder to really have your voice heard in a group of 300 million versus nine million even but i even think that's even too large see you really have an individual say but that that that's why like the idea of like 
which once again I'm not for, but like the idea of like anarchy, anarcho communism, which is basically like communes, if you want to think of, is more would be more of an ideal setting for anarchism in the sense, just like a a group of people, like-minded individuals getting together and living with each other and being able to decide on the rules by themselves. Yeah, well, what you were saying there with the Articles of Confederation, the smaller groups, is like how the U.S. was originally designed that we were going to be like each state was practically a separate company or country that were loosely held together, kind of like what the U.K. is today, except with much looser laws than the U.K. has today. (laughs) I mean, back in the day, they used to say the United States are, not the United States is, and then the statist federal beast Abraham Lincoln kind of ruined a lot of that and then set parameters for other people to ruin it even more. Yeah. It's, it's, um, obviously, like I said, this is, uh, my ideas and stuff. Um, my philosophy on government, right. Uh, the biggest argument against it, I feel like a practical excuse for it is, um, how do you create this in a world with, uh, global superpowers, right? So let's say the United States, let's say we overnight, we switch this more anarchist belief, right? And you'd say, well, China's just going to come in here and just take us over. And um, I don't think you're necessarily wrong. I think this works better in a global scale, like if everyone got on board, right? And that's not necessarily practical. So I'd like to see how far we could take this in a world of global superpowers where maybe, you know, like I said before, I don't think this is an overnight switch. I don't think this is something that we can just turn off and on tomorrow this would be take us 200 years to get here you know it, it may take a lot of years to get to this point where i'm happy but that, that's what's why i believe i guess you know yeah okay that makes sense one thing you mentioned when we were recording before was your view on not voting this is changing gears a little bit but i think we kind of talked about what we were going to talk about there without rambling on too much so talk about what you think with voting and all of that well okay so right um you you get to vote and every four years right that's a major election even though there's tons of smaller elections which i think honestly are way more important like if you are gonna vote i think voting for your local mayor or your state rep or even like uh, school councils your local judges like that's actually the most important thing you're gonna vote on because that's actually where you the most say in what you're gonna be able to do Voting for president, I'm not going to sit here and say it doesn't do anything, but virtually it doesn't do anything. <laughs> I mean, let's say you live in California, right? You can vote. Literally, you could go in there and vote anything you wanted to federally, and that you're going to lose if you're not a left-wing Democrat, right? And um, kind of the same thing, I guess, in Texas. Let's say you believe more in liberal liberal rights and more government control let's say you're gonna get shot down in texas most nine times out of time right so your vote at the federal level really doesn't matter and i just think like so even if you vote let's say i always like to go back 2016 right because that's where i'm most knowledgeable on and because it's such a big event i think for most of the country i think it's really a turning point in this country in a lot of ways bad and good uh, but if you look at 2016, right, Hillary Clinton, she lost by only so many votes. Now, we can sit here all day and debate whether how many votes did she actually get or is 2020 legitimate, whatever. I, I, don't, I don't even like debating that because I don't like it in the first place. But um, 
if you look at it, half the country basically that voted, which is not even a large part of the country voted in general, they voted for another candidate. And things at this point have kind of so polarized, right? So Hillary Clinton called that everyone basically that didn't vote for is a deplorable. And Donald Trump and many politicians do the same thing. They basically demonize the other 50% of the country. So how how is it how can you explain democracy in a good light when it's basically the oppression of the majority versus the minority? Right? Like people were melting down when Donald Trump got elected, and people were melting down when Donald Trump didn't get elected in 2020, right? And I would be I'd be really interested in wondering how people vote for Donald Trump in 2020 that are happy with Joe Biden or think that he actually represents them. And so I just don't believe in this crapshoot where Every four years, you get to just write in a vote, right, which really doesn't matter. And then all of a sudden, you're just choosing your dictator, right? You're choosing, you're basically just choosing someone who's going to be over you, has more say than you. You're saying, this guy is going to represent me and is going to say what's wrong and right. And in reality, they're just as corrupt as the next guy. I mean, you should, like, honestly, at this point, I, I think of one federal elected person that if I did vote, I would vote for, and that's Thomas Massey out of Kentucky. And besides that, I mean, maybe Rand Paul, but like, besides that, I mean, I don't, I don't see anyone out there who actually wants to protect the constitution, who believes in a small government, who does anything. So if that's the case, why am I being forced to choose someone that I don't even really want to hold my nose to vote for? And basically just choose a ruler over me. It's like voting in your dictator. Yeah, uh, I've heard it said before. I don't know who said this first, that democracy is two wolves and a sheep voting on what's for dinner. Yeah, that's that's what I'm saying. It's just like, um, it doesn't make sense to me. Every, every time it's election time, especially Christians, you know, they're like, oh man, like I have to vote for whoever I have to vote for. It's... It's so bad. Well, no, don't. You don't have to, right? Like, they have too much power. They they have way too much control of your life. We shouldn't be electing a dictator in our lives. Like, that to me is just an inerrant corruption that we have to elect someone we hate. And then they get to say, they get to choose what we do on a day-to-day basis. You can sit there and argue they don't, but look what happened under COVID. They literally, your governor, chose whether you can go outside today or not, basically. And if you don't see that as a problem, that you didn't get a say in your own life, where you could shop, where you could go, if you could even go outside, if you went outside, you had to wear a mask. Like, that to me is a way bigger deal than any other issue, right, in my opinion. Like, we we can sit there and talk about abortion and talk about all this stuff, but at the end of the day, like, if they're restricting what you can do, that's a way bigger issue to me, like, than anything else, because it starts off slow, you know, it's get they, if you give them an inch, they take a mile. And we definitely saw that over the last two and a half years or two years. Yeah. And there's some concept in very recent American history that democracy is like the best thing ever. Cause America was not set up as a democracy. Like you read old philosophers, Augustine, Plato, uh, Aristotle, anyone that talked about government, they've, very often, perhaps nearly without exception, said pure democracy is a moral evil. It's a tyranny of the 51%, which is why America was set up 
Moore's Republic with some elements of democracy, not as the democracy that the left wants to say we are. Yeah, I mean, it, it seems great. Democracy seems great, right? If everyone you vote for gets in office, right? And they all do exactly what they're going to say. It seems great to you. But what about the person that it does affect? Like, if this person is elected and they're, in my opinion, tyrannical, right? And they decide what, you know, they, they can take away. If, if 51% of the people decide that you can just murder someone and that they want to murder you, that that's not a good scenario. Yeah, democracy is not democracy not good. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, democracy is oftentimes better than dictatorship. That's not what I'm, I'm not saying that. But I mean, once again, though, that's it's not it's not any better. Like, just because you voted, that they now can do bad things, right? That doesn't that doesn't make me feel any better. Just because you were able to, you had a say in it, doesn't make me feel better about the situation. <laughs> if they still are able to do whatever they want. Yeah, um, that, that kind of reminds me of this meme I saw a few years ago that had uh, two pictures of Bernie Sanders with a pile of dog poop and one pile of dog poop had sprinkles on it. And over the one without sprinkles, it said socialism. And over the one with sprinkles, it said democratic socialism. And it said, what's the difference? And Bernie Sanders is saying this one has sprinkles. Like, it doesn't really matter if your dictator is voted in or if he takes power by military conquest, if he's still going to be a horrible dictator. Yeah. And as I was saying, from, from my short lived experience, right. Uh, basically every politician you elect, you're just electing a spokesperson that says the things you like, like at the end of the day, like are you saying towards that meme, I, I like the meme where it shows like a nuclear bomb and one says like, just has like a good name on it, like little Eddie or something like that. And then it says if you don't like Democrats and it has a trans flag on it, right? Like, <laughs> like that's all it is. Like, they do the same thing. Like, I want you to think about the last time person you voted for and take away all their talking points and look what they actually did. And it's virtually the same exact thing. Like, Donald Trump's trillion-dollar spending bill is a super, super, like, Democrat point, like, make America great again, all this infrastructure and stuff like government spending uh, is very dem. It's, it's a very like Democrat opinion in 2004 yet because he had R next to his name. A lot of conservatives were like, yeah, you know what? We, we do need better bridges. We need better roads. So that's fine. Just take a trillion dollars. Like that's fine with me. It's just, it's silly. Like and then Biden does the same thing. Right. And now everyone's like, Oh no, we can't, we can't have a build back build America back better or whatever the heck his bill was. They're like, that, that can't be possible. We can't do that. And I'm like, you literally were just cheering this exact same thing on two years ago or even four years ago. Like, it doesn't it doesn't make sense to me. People get too caught up in this culture war when in reality they're, the politicians are going to do what they're always have done. Yeah, the re- Republicans are just Democrats from a dozen years ago, basically. I mean, take, yeah, it's, yeah. Yeah. take Obama's 08 platform. And he'd basically be a pro-choice Republican by today's standards. Oh, 100%. I think that's like so – it's so funny seeing like the clips of uh, Obama and Hillary Clinton being anti-gay marriage in 2008, right? And that that's political suicide if you're that way now. Like it's, it's just so funny to me because literally they are. They, like Barack Obama in 2008, what he ran on, he would be shot down so quickly – 
in the Democratic debates in the DNC, it won't even be funny. Oh, yeah. That's how far they moved the Overton window. But they want to try to tell us that conservatives are like the more extreme, further away from center ones. Yeah. And and so it's like you call yourselves conservatives, but what are you what are you trying to conserve? Like if you're just trying to conserve, that's why I think this country, we we have to get away from this voting thing because all we're doing is just, you know, Michael Malice, he has a quote, which I absolutely love. It says, conservatism is just, uh, is just, is just leftism driving the speed limit. I butchered it a little bit, but that's all he says. Like, we're just slowly conserving the ideas of 10 years ago. And that's why they keep winning. Cause it's just, we're just doing what they wanted to do 10 years ago. We're like, whoa, whoa, whoa you can't do that. You can't do that. You can't do that. And a couple years later, like, okay, you can do it now. Yeah. And so what's, what's the point of voting for that? Yeah. I describe it like the Republicans and Democrats are both heading for a cliff. It's just the Democrats are doing a hundred miles an hour and the Republicans are maybe only doing 50 or 60. Yeah. Exactly. So I, it's, and I, I honestly, like I said, I want you to think about like, when was the last time you voted that matter? Now, this is like the practical application. Now, I, I don't believe in voting because I think, once again, you're just voting for whoever the ruler you want over you. You're just voting for whoever says the best thing about taking away your rights. That's, in, in my opinion, that, that's why I said, like, if you're going to go out and vote, like vote for the person who's going to give you the most freedom, regardless of their belief because we like I, we discussed in the other podcast christians and i get i get it told like i'm not shaming you like i get your point of voting for the guy who says he's a christian like i understand that because you think your morality lines up the same therefore a lot of your values will line up the same therefore they'll govern the same but honestly at the end of the day it's just it's just not true it's been proven false over and over and over and over again they don't get caught up in a lie just because someone says they're a Christian. You know what? They might be a Christian, but if they're not guaranteeing you your God-given rights and stuff, it's going to come back to bite you, whether you want to believe it or not. It's going to come up and destroy your life. Yeah. Now, when you first started this, when we first got into this topic like 10 minutes ago, you were talking about the smaller elections that you're still willing to vote for, right? No. Okay. So you're not okay. I thought you said like smaller elections are okay. No, I, I I would say what I would say is um once again, like it's still all democracy. I don't believe democracy is evil, but I'm saying like if you are going to vote, right? Because I once again I don't believe after this podcast a lot of people are going to become anarchists instantly, right? For me it was years of progression down this road to realize I got to this point. I'm simply saying those are if if you still believe in voting, you still believe that you can vote your way out of this mess, which I just don't believe is possible at this point. That's what I believe you have to do. Like it's at the smaller level, obviously the smaller the level, the better representation is. And therefore those elections are way more important. And yet these liberty minded Christians and people place such an emphasis on this presidential election every four years and who you're going to vote for federally, which I'm just saying at the end of the day is not going to make much difference. But if you look at your local politicians and stuff, they actually make the most difference in your day-to-day life and will affect you the most. So those are more important. Your local judges and stuff, that's more important. They're going to affect your everyday life. Donald Trump or Joe Biden are rarely going to affect your everyday life. So I, I just believe if you're going to do it, at least 
do it to the best of your circumstances and truly look into everything. But once again, I just don't, I don't believe that we can vote our way into, you know, this utopia that everyone claims to want to be a part of where we have all these rights and we focus on them and we actually respect each other's rights. I just don't think, I think we're, we're too far gone and that's just not possible at this point to vote our way into a perfect free country. I mean, I'd like to hear your thoughts. Like, I mean, do, do you honestly believe we can vote our way into freedoms? No. Um, so I, I would take more of a post-millennial approach that would be, it's going to be primarily from seeing like revival and stuff like that. Like the first great awakening that happened in the early days in America and stuff like that. So like, I think the voting will come, but I would see it as more voting as more and more people are being Christianized, which I think is possible in America, probably not going to happen, but I think in the future, we will start to see it happen in country after country where like people will, more and more people will come to faith. Those who are coming to faith will be more mature in their faith and they'll vote in line with it. So I guess, yes, but a little bit of a different way than most people think of. Yes. Yeah. Like I'm saying, if we follow, follow your line of thinking, right? So you're saying things will get better when the individual gets better. It's basically what you're saying when the individual realizes what it truly means to be free and what they need to do. Therefore they'll vote in the right politicians. But I'm at the point, like if, if we get to the point where we're there, where you think we're good enough, where there's enough Christians, there's enough liberty minded people that respect our God given rights. Then what's the point of voting for someone who's going to do the same thing you're going to do anyways? What's the point of putting someone over you at that level if everyone's going to, or the majority of people are going to do what's right anyways. Yeah. So. And, and it's nothing. I don't, I don't think as a group of people, we can ever get to that point. I don't think we'll be at a point where everyone agrees enough that they'll be able to vote where it's going to protect our rights. Okay. So do you think your view of the, if you want to call it Christian anarchy, do you think that is something that can actually be realized in the world with what you just said? Yeah, no, hundred percent. Um, but I, I, I think I, when I, when I believe in Christian anarchy, I believe it's just anarchy. But I think Christians, we already had that fundamental base. Like we're, we're already, we're already there. But we're just too scared to take that next step. We're too scared to give up security and safety. We're, we, I just think we're we're there in our logic and our speaking. Like if you talk to, like I said before, I do believe it freedom is like this innate thing that we have in us, but oftentimes, well, actually majority of the time, especially as we've seen, we give that up in the sense of safety and security. And I also just believe like Christianity, right. Is it's it's not the wide road. It's a small road, right. At the end of the day, there's going to be less Christians out there than non-believers, no matter what, like the Bible talks about it, right? It does not matter. Basically it's this prophecy, right? No matter what we do, it's still our goal to make Christians out of everyone possible. But at the end of the day, it's just not going to be there. Uh, it, it's said in scripture. So well, should we, theology. Yeah. I think at some point in the future, there will be more Christians than non-Christians on the planet. Really? Yeah. And my, I think it could be like 5,000 years from now, but that it is probably going to happen. Now, not not to get too much on offshoot, but do you believe that that before the tribulation, all this stuff you're saying? Um, 
I don't believe in a seven-year tribulation. I think the last 70th week from Daniel happened in the first century. But that would get us on a huge rabbit trail to go into. Yeah, yeah. Actually, no, just a little offshoot. You know, I've been getting more into, and you probably disagree with this too, but like uh, I'm really kind of coming around to the point in my eschatology, like uh, is everything cyclical in a certain sense? Like uh, is the Antichrist or a form of it, this thing that we see pop up, is it Nero, is it Hitler, like this thing that we will forever see, like especially like Ezekiel, he talks about um, Tyre, you know, and he talks about end times, but he's also quoting Tyre, and it's like, well, Tyre was a real person, was a real place, it had a real king and all this stuff, like, so I, I don't know where, eschatology, you know, is very, um, it's a very, I think, hard thing to pin down exactly. At least parts of it, I should say. I shouldn't say all of it. Obviously, there are things that are undeniable that I don't think are up for debate. Yeah, but, um, we all agree on the second coming is going to happen yes. at some point, even if we disagree on almost every other aspect of eschatology. Yeah, and, I mean that—that's a good viewpoint. Honestly, I—I'd I, love to believe that there that we will be a majority Christians. That's a—that's a great viewpoint. I have to do more research on that because if I can believe that, I think. Uh, that make me sleep better at night. Um, uh, I just have to do more research into that. But even even then, let's say let's even go with your viewpoint that five thousand years or whatever that people are majority Christians and stuff. Uh, that'd be a great world to live in. I just what 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 happens to those other people, right? I, I don't think any time majority rules over the minority, even if from a Christian perspective, it's not good and. I, I think we can show more people love in Christianity through the way we do we act and think we say to them more than we can forcing it down the throat. I think we'll see more converts that way. So in the scenario, even if more people are Christian and liberty minded, what about these other people that maybe want to live a different life? I think they should be able to live their, their lives, how they see without the state interference. But, um, as long as they're not breaking the non-aggression principle, they should be able to live their lives how they see fit. You know, not not for a moral individual, right? I want them to live this way. I would approach them and try to lead them down this path. But if they don't go, like, I don't necessarily, unless they break non-aggression principles, I don't think that their view of the world is any less, you know, deemable. I don't think that, I still think what they believe is worthy enough to be lived out. Okay. Yeah. I think I can hopefully answer your question. You're saying. I, if I didn't, yeah, sorry. No, I think that's good. Um, I was just looking at, we're already going almost 40 minutes and there were like mm -hmm. a few specific points I was wanting to try to push back a yeah, little bit yeah, yeah. and see where you Go stand. Ahead. So maybe we could just make this three parts instead of two, cut it right here. And then following yeah, week. I love talk. I love talking. So yeah, I'm down for that. So that was the, Second part of this three-part series doing interviews with Caleb on Christian anarchy. So stay tuned for next week as we wrap it up and then keep listening after that as we dive into a bunch of great topics. Some of the ones I have planned uh, coming up are uh, the Good Samaritan and how he's different than the socialist Good Samaritan. The biblical Good Samaritan is not like the socialist view of the Good Samaritan. I'm going to have my friend Rocky on. I was on his podcast recently. He's going to come on mine. We're going to talk about the medical system from a theonomic viewpoint. I have an idea based on using uh, 
the magician's nephew from the Narnia series as an analogy with God's blessings and cursings on nations. Uh, another one is what I'm going to call the Old Testament credit score system. I actually didn't come up with that name myself. I was explaining this concept to a friend at my church and he was like, wow, that's like the Old Testament credit score system. I was like, wow, that's a really great name. Now I'm taking the name he came up with for an idea I was thinking through. Uh, so those are just some episodes I have planned that all should drop probably in the next month, two months at the most, and stay tuned for all of them. So that was this week's episode of Theonomony. As we go, I want to remind everyone that the law of the Lord is perfect, sure, right, pure, clean, and true. So go apply that law in light of the gospel of Christ's atoning death and resurrection to every area of life. Grace and peace, friends. More than silver or precious pure gold, your law is sweet and it satisfies my soul. It revives me and satisfies me. Your law is sweet, oh you.